embodied carbon. What is it? And as a homeowner or a builder or even an architect, why should you even care? Hello, my name is Chris Novelli from N3 Architecture based out of Hopedale, Massachusetts, and welcome to the Home Design Academy podcast, where I help people understand design and construction so that they can make better decisions on their projects and communicate more effectively with their architects and their contractors. Okay, just to talk a little bit about some of the things that we have upcoming here um, I am in the process of writing an ebook that that is going along very well. And so this ebook go, is going to be focused on the average homeowner and things that they should know before starting a project, whether that's a new construction or a renovation and addition. And, and business owners can also benefit from this ebook and if they're working on a small commercial project. So I'm also working on a YouTube channel. Um, that will be under N3 Architecture, so look for that coming very soon. But today, we are in episode 24 of the Home Design Academy podcast, and I thank you so much for being here. And I just want to say that if you ever have any questions about your project, or if you want to learn more about architecture and, and construction, just go to n3architecture.com, um, you know, or search N3 Architecture on your social media platform of choice. Um, you'll be able to find email addresses and contact information. So go to that website, go to n3architecture.com, um, go to the contact page and send me your questions. And I'd love to answer your questions here on the podcast. That's one of the things that I really enjoy doing. So today though, we're going to be talking about embodied carbon, what it is, why should we care and things that we can do. So there's a goal as society, right? to limit the global temperature increase to 2 degrees Celsius, or even better, 1.5 degrees Celsius. And you can read more about this, uh, just search up for the Paris Accords and the, any global sort of uh, energy efficiency, carbon neutral, net zero initiatives, and you can find out more information. But you know, today I really just wanna focus on the embodied carbon. And so the thing to know is we are not on track to meet that target. And just think about that. I know that there's some people out there that will uh, debate whether climate change is, re is real or whether it really matters. And those people, you know, that's the attitude that I don't like. The attitude that, oh, I'll be, you know, I won't be around in 50 years or I won't be around in 70 years, so why should I even care? That sort of attitude is, you know, you're putting it on these future generations to solve your problems. And I can't stand that. So we are not on track to meet that global temperature increase limit. And so the next decade, and meaning the decade we're in right now, 2020 to 2030, it's going to be critical. And to meet those goals, we are going to need to reduce global carbon emissions by over 65%. That is a drastic change in such a short time span. We're talking 
10 year, that 10 year time span, which is, you know, down to nine years now and counting. So it's time that everyone get educated and start making changes. So the construction industry accounts for roughly 40% of all of global carbon emissions, 40%. 28% of those global carbon emissions come from building operations. And 11% of the global emissions come from the construction of buildings. And of that 11%, the construction side of things, of that 11%, the majority comes from the steel and the concrete industries. Those two industries alone make up the vast majority of that 11%. But before I get into it, I want to talk about what is the difference between the operational carbon emissions and embodied carbon. Well, operational is simply what it sounds like. It's what's needed to use our buildings, what's needed to run our buildings. So I'm talking about heating systems, cooling systems, electricity, so on and so forth. While embodied carbon is the carbon emissions that are required for the materials and the constructions of the building. It's the carbon emissions the total sum of all of those processes. And for materials, that includes the extraction of resources, the manufacturing, and all of the machinery and processes required for the manufacturing. It includes the transportation, getting from the factory to whatever port to your job site. And transportation is both is air, it's land, it's sea. It's all of those. And it includes the on-site construction, meaning all the machinery and energy and power required to assemble those materials into the final building. So that total sum of all of the carbon emissions is your embodied carbon number. And you can see that there are many complex pieces of the embodied carbon number. And the decisions that you make about which materials to build with and where you purchase those materials from can make a big difference. You know, on the operations side of things, building energy efficiency has been relevant for decades and it's getting better every year. And, you know, when I say getting better, I not only mean the integration of better insulation, of sustainable solutions, and the efficiency of your mechanical, mechanical equipment. Um, but I also mean the acceptance from both the public and the construction trades on the importance of efficiency. So it's that acceptance that has really taken off. And we need to have that same level of acceptance with the manufacturing and the embodied carbon side of things. Continuing with operations here. Just think about it. Why would someone not want to build the most efficient house or the most efficient building that they could possibly afford? I mean, even if you have to spend an extra 20% on construction costs, you can drastically reduce the amount of money you pay to heat, to cool, and to power your buildings. And so that extra 20% that you pay on the front end, you're saving that over time, over the life that you own that house or building. And, you know, an argument I always get is, well, Chris, you know, I'm only planning on spend staying in my house for 10 years, so 
it's not worth it for me to spend that upfront money because I'll never recoup the cost. I'll never, you know, get back to zero and and see that savings. Well, I just say that's, you know, sure, I can see that point. But let's look at it from another another lens. And when you go to sell, if you're selling a house that has that's a net zero uh, house that's running on very little operational costs, well, you're going to be able to sell that house for a lot more than the house down the street that costs $1,000 a month to, just to, to heat and cool and to run all the power. I mean, just think of it in that way. That you're, you're, even if it's a short-term uh, time frame for you to stay in your house, you're still going to see a benefit on the back end. But that's just operational, right? That's just energy efficiency. And like I said, we've come a long way. Embodied carbon, though, has a long, long way to go, which is why over the past few years, it has become an important focus for the architecture and construction industries. So if you can increase the efficiency of the manufacturing and the transportation and the construction, you can see some significant improvements. Now, there's also been a lot of talk on how we can sort of force the issue or how we can we make it sort of mandatory. And one of the things that I keep on hearing come up and over and over again is a carbon taxing system on building materials. And that may be required to make a significant change. I mean, just think, large companies, the companies who extract, refine, and manufacture these materials and products they are concerned mostly about their bank accounts. They're mostly concerned about their bottom lines. And drastic change to their industry would require substantial costs that they don't want to absorb. And it's that corporate mentality of me first as long as I make my money, I don't care what happens to the world in 50 or 100 years. And that attitude needs to change. And so... Don't take that last couple statements as a knock on capitalism, though, because it's not. In my opinion, there's a difference between capitalism and greed. And yes, sure, maybe capitalism at the 1% reinforces greed, which in turn supports that me-first mentality. However, you know, that's just a conversation for a different day. So let's get back to embodied carbon here. How do we track it? With all those processes, the, the, the refinement, the manufacturing, the shipping, the construction, the, you know, the emissions that come from the boats or the planes or the trucks and the equipment to, to make the, the materials and the equipment to construct the materials. How do we even begin to track all of that and to put a number on it? Is it even possible? This is another area where Great strides have been made in the past five to ten years or so. And one of the ways to complete to track this is to complete a life cycle assessment for the buildings and the building materials. Now, when it comes to that embodied carbon number and tracking all that stuff, there are certain manufacturers who are stepping up to the plate to start to put together their own assessment of their own products and processes. So when you complete this life cycle assessment, you know, you're going to be talking about all of those processes that I've been talking about, the refinement, the manufacturing, the uh, shipping, the construction. And you're going to add to that the building operations emissions, the carbon emissions required for the maintenance of the building, and 
even tracking the embodied carbon of any materials that are required for that maintenance. Whether it's replacing a door or or changing out the windows or painting or, you know, asphalt uh, blacktop on the parking lot. All those different maintenance materials that happen over the life of the building. Track those as well. Track the demolition and what's going to be required at the end of a building's life. And what sort of energy is going to be required to recycle materials that can be recycled or reuse whatever materials can be reused and the disposal of the remaining materials. That entire process sort of, from, I mean, they call it from cradle to grave, right? So the very beginning of the materials to the very end of its life, that total process, tracking all of that and putting that into some sort of tangible number or tangible uh, assessment that we can we can evaluate. That's called the life cycle assessment for buildings. And so in the past few years, there's been some great tools and websites and resources that have been developed to assist in the tracking and the calculation of a building, its materials, and its embodied carbon. And some of these tools include Gabi, that's G-A-B-I, SEMA Pro, S-I-M-A Pro, OpenLCA, uh, uh, a software called Tally. There's also OneClick LCA, Athena Impact Estimator, EC3, which is a really good one, and there's many, many more. So you can see that the technology is starting to improve. The resources are starting to improve. And in order for any of this tracking and calculations to be useful, there needs to be a benchmark established. And then moving forward, we can work to improve upon those benchmarks. So let's talk about the things that we can do as architects, as homeowners, as business owners, as builders, what are some of the things that we can do to limit the amount of embodied carbon within our buildings? The first and most impactful is to rethink how we reuse existing buildings. Instead of tearing down everything, tearing down that existing structure to put up something new, think about how it can be reused or partially reused. Just think about it. The embodied carbon required to construct that house or building, including the refinement and the manufacturing of all those materials, that already exists. That's already out there in the atmosphere. So by tearing it down and then putting up something new, you're essentially doubling the amount of embodied carbon or tripling or whatever. You're vastly increasing the amount of embodied carbon for that property. Next, we need to look at a building structure as the structure accounts for more than 50% of the embodied carbon within building construction. And this makes sense, right? Most of the time when we're talking about structure, especially in commercial buildings, we're talking about steel and concrete. And what did I mention at the beginning? Steel and concrete has the vast majority of the embodied carbon within construction. So let's rethink what type of structural materials can be used, such as CLT, which is cross-laminated timber instead of steel. The good thing about CLT and products like that is it does not need sort of this old-growth timber. It's made with much smaller pieces that are glued together. So you're not 
cutting down any old growth forests, which is always the argument against any type of wood construction. And so you combine the CLT with sustainable forest management practices and the fact that wood will sequester carbon during its growth period and it will never release that carbon back into the atmosphere and then now we're making some progress. But just using CLT isn't enough though. It isn't perfect. And there's still carbon emissions from the harvesting, manufacturing, processing, and transportation of those timbers. Another way to limit the embodied carbon within buildings is to reduce the amount of concrete used. Some ways that you can do this is waffle slabs or precast slabs that have voids cast into them. And I've even seen slabs that have like balloon type structures that are within them that create these voids to use less concrete. There's also ways to adjust the mixture of concrete to use less cement because it's the cement that really brings up the embodied carbon number. But if that's an approach that you're interested in taking, you need to confirm with your structural engineer and building officials and talk about it. Because if you're talking about messing around or changing the mixture of the concrete, then you really need some engineering analysis behind it. Because, you know, what you don't want is you don't want structural failure. And there's even this new type of concrete. Well, I guess it's, a, it's several years old now, but it's newer to the industry and it's gaining some traction where the concrete is injected with carbon that's captured from the atmosphere. So this carbon is captured from the atmosphere and as the concrete is being poured, this carbon is somehow injected into the concrete. And then once that concrete hardens, that carbon is sequestered forever. Even if the building is torn down at some point in the future, because once it's hardened, I guess that carbon is chemically changed into a, into a mineral. And then finally, another way is just to limit the size of your house or building. Think about it here. If I build a 5,000 square foot house versus a 2,500 square foot house, then you can easily see that that is at least half of the carbon, carbon footprint. And so obviously that's a very general statement, but the point is you don't need to build a 5,000 square foot house if you don't need that amount of space. Along with just the construction is the amount of resources needed to heat, to cool, and to power a 5,000 square foot house versus a 2,500 square foot house. The building and construction industry has a long way to go. But as you build, as you plan, even as a client or a homeowner or a builder, think about what you can do to reduce the amount of embodied carbon in your house or your building.
So that wraps up another episode of the Home Design Academy podcast. I hope that you learned something and enjoyed yourself along the way. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review on your podcast player of choice and visit n3architecture.com for more information. Today we had a good discussion about embodied carbon. I think this is a first part, an introduction to embodied carbon and that I'm going to continue this with more episodes in the future. So um, I hope you enjoyed just learning a little bit more about embodied carbon and what you can do to make the world better. So again, visit n3architecture.com, send me your questions, send me an email, check in, just say hi. I mean, if that's what you want to do, go to n3architecture on any of the social media platforms and you'll find me. So thank you very much and I will see you in the next episode.